0: Well, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me today to Acts chapter 16, where the title of the message is Walking in God's Will. Walking in God's Will. God has a plan for every single person. I want to ask you a question. Do you know what God's plan is for your life? If you knew what his plan was, would you do it? I'm going to ask yourself this. Are you walking in the center of God's will for your life? This is really important because before any of us were born or created, God created us with a plan in mind. He gifted us to fulfill that plan, and our greatest happiness is always going to be found in the center of his will. I mean, in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Before you were ever born, God had a plan for you. In Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. You know, a lot of times people are like, you know, I'm just not sure if I give my life to Christ and then I have to follow his plan. What if I don't like his plan? Can I just tell you, he's got good plans. He's got plans to bless you. He's got plans to work in your life. God is a good God. He wants to do good things in your life and your happiness will be found, your greatest happiness in the center of his will. He's designed you with a plan in mind. You and I can know the Lord's will. It's very interesting. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter five, verse 17, therefore, do not be foolish. The word in the Greek is aphron and you could translate it a number of ways. Don't be ignorant. That is, don't know that you don't know the Lord's will. One lexicon puts it this way, don't be stupid. Know the wills. It's a stupid thing not to know God's will for your life and just live doing what you want to do. Another says, don't be egotistical. Do you realize it's the height of pride to say, I don't care what God's will is. I'm going to do my own thing because I think I know better than God. That's, don't be egotistical. Another one is, Don't be rash. Don't just do what what you feel the impulse to do, but understand what the Lord's will is. God has a will for you. You know, you're driving with the GPS and you're in a city you've never been before and you're trying to go somewhere. Have you ever thought how thankful you are for the GPS? And you're like, man, I would be so lost. But because you got that GPS, even though you don't have any clue, you don't know where you're at in the city, you're just trying to get to a place, you don't have a clue, but you trust that GPS and all of a sudden it announces it's on your left and you're like, yay, we made it. Have you ever thought to yourself, I wish God's will was that easy? (laughs) Just speak to us like a GPS and tell us what his will is. God doesn't do that because God's never going to let us get to a place where we think we've got him figured out. He's never going to let us get to a place where you and I aren't constantly depending on on him and relying on him. Why? Because he wants relationship with us. He wants to introduce us to the majesty of his ability to providentially take all of the billions of components that are a part of life on this earth and a part of our own life, and weave them all together in conformity with His will, so that when we look back and we see it, we're like, wow, that is really, really amazing, and that's part of the way He leads. Now, when we come to Acts chapter 16, it's a very interesting chapter because it shows us how God works in the life of the Apostle Paul. You know, sometimes we have the idea that because somebody's an apostle, and especially Paul, I mean, this man who is so amazing in the New Testament, right? It's a third of the New Testament, one of the greatest figures or persons in Christianity in the history of the church. We get the idea that that his walking with God, that you would get to some level where it would be different than it is for everybody else. Now, I'm not suggesting that there aren't advantages that come your way the deeper you grow in God, and and one of the greatest ones is your ability to trust when you don't know and to rest in the fact God has it under control. But one of the things we see here is that, that as Paul is trying to figure out the will of God, there are some things happening in his life that are happening in the lives of people that are listening to this message today and we're gonna see how God works. Now, when we're talking about the will of God, if if I were gonna just give you a message on the will of God, I would say, well, here's how we know the will of God, how we discern the will of God, and that's not this message. There's a lot of things we won't cover in this message. Namely, I mean, you could read the word of God and know a lot of God's will. God could speak to you in a, by way of a still, small voice. We've talked about that. But in this chapter, what you see is you see God working in three different ways to show Paul the will of God, to work his will in the life of Paul, in the life of Timothy, and they're the same ways that God works in our life. Let me give you the three ways. Number one, God makes his will known through relationship with others. One of the ways God makes you aware of what he wants to do in your life is by the people you hang out with. In Acts chapter 16, let's look at it. He, that's Paul, came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey So he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. In order to know God's will and to live out God's will, you need other people. If you do not have relationships with other believers, You're gonna know less of God's will in your life than he would desire you to know. You're gonna miss some things that God would have done, would have wanted to do to bless your life because God uses relationships with other people to guide and direct our lives. You see it with Paul and Timothy. In order to live out God's will, Paul needed Timothy and in order to live out God's will for his life, Timothy needed Paul. Listen, that's why we talk to you about getting in a life group. That's why we talk to you about getting involved in ministry because you're gonna meet other people and that interaction with people is going to direct the course of your life. For example, when Debbie and I first got married, we, before we were in the ministry, we were with... Five other couples, six if we count the leader, and what this couple had done, this couple had a heart for young marrieds, and they said, we're going to get a group of young marrieds, and we're just going to kind of do life with them and talk about married life and talk about the Bible and build relationships. And so for the first year of our marriage, we hung out with that group. The fact of the matter is, if it weren't for that group, I would not be here today. It was relationships formed in that group that over time God used to bring us back to Springfield, Missouri. You see, when you say, I don't want to be in a life group, and I'm not going to serve, and I don't need other people, what you're doing is you're cutting yourself off from what God would want to do down the line in ways you couldn't begin to imagine, In fact, there are some of you, and you find yourself confused, you find yourself uncertain about God's will again and again, and it's because you've not surrounded yourself with people who can help you in moving toward God's will for your life. If you want to know God's will, then you have to do life with people who care about God's will. And God will use those people to encourage you, that God will use those people to direct you. And by that, I'm not telling you that they're going to tell you what to do, but what you're going to do is you're going to watch their life, you're going to listen to what they say, and it's going to affect the way you do life. People at times talk about my kids. They're like, hey, your kids turned out really great. And, and you know, uh, my standard answer is, well, the grace of God and a wonderful mother like Debbie. I mean, I was kind of long for the ride. And I was really, as a dad, good at doing one thing in particular, and that was saying, I'm sorry. Outside of that, you know, I mean, because I think a lot of dads won't ever apologize. Kids know they're wrong. But the dad acts like it doesn't matter. And that's the biggest mistake you can ever make. Be humble enough to apologize to your kids when you're wrong. Be sincere enough to say, listen, I'm trying to serve God the best I can and I want you to serve God and your kids will love you for that honesty and that humility. But honestly, I mean, it was hanging out Again, with a small group of men, we met every week at what the the time was Smitty's on East Battlefield, and we were there early in the morning, and there were some older guys, and there were some younger guys, and the older guys had been successful in raising their kids, and they would talk about things they did, and I would listen to them, and I'd say, that's a good idea. I'm going to remember that, and I did put it into practice. Listen, that part of God's will for my life was raising kids who love God, right? You learn, you grow in God's will when you're around people who care about His will. Now look at it in chapter 16, verse 1, he, that's Paul, came to Derby and then to Lystra where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was a Jewess and a believer but whose father was a Greek. Probably Timothy at this time is approximately 20 years old. Some say he could be a little younger, some a little older, but he's about 20 years old. His dad, most scholars believe, died when he was younger, and so we don't know his father's name, but we do know his mother's name and his grandmother's name. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes to Timothy, I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded thou lives in you. So here's Timothy, he has a family faith. He's a strong believer. And we read back in Acts chapter 16, Paul comes to Derby. he meets Timothy there, And the brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Here's what's interesting about this is that Iconium is 18 miles from Lystra, and and this is a day when everything's happening on foot. So Timothy is so living for the Lord, so loving God, that he's having an influence on people who live miles away, and Paul Knows about him and wants him to travel with him. Here's what we're talking about. Let me just give you the map. So Derby's where we are in verse one, and he goes up to Lystra, and there is there's where Timothy is. Iconium's 18 miles from here all the way over to Troas. And we're gonna get there by by verse 10. You're talking from, from right in here somewhere to there is 590 miles. It's on foot, it's through Uh, dangerous mountain ranges and passes where there are bandits, and Paul says, we were in trouble from bandits is probably on this journey. He's on foot as well. Paul is sick. He's not well. He he writes that to the Galatians. There are issues that he struggles with physically. And then on top of that, I mean, the last time that Timothy and his family saw Paul at Lystra, remember, he had been stoned. That's where they got mad at him. They pushed him off a ledge. They threw rocks at his head to crush him. They thought he was dead. They threw his bloody, beaten up body on a garbage dump, probably bones all over his body broken, probably very near death if they thought he was dead, and the believers gather around and essentially pray over him, and he's healed and walks back into the city. But Timothy knows, hey, the guy who has that kind of thing happen to him is asking me to go with him. Not only that, but if you look at Acts chapter 16 and verse 3, Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him. I mean, now listen, I'm only asking you to be in a life group (laughs) and to get in growth track. I'm way easier than Paul, okay? It's true. You got it easy. Why did Timothy need to be circumcised? Because Paul's trying to reach Jewish people. Timothy's mom is Jewish, so Timothy is viewed. If the mother's Jewish, the children are viewed as Jewish. And since his dad's not not there and not in the picture, and maybe his dad forbid circumcision altogether, what's going to happen is, as Paul is working with Jewish people, they see Timothy uncircumcised, people are going to say, well, Paul is telling Jewish people you don't have to obey the law, and Timothy would be proof positive of that. And so Paul says, I can't have that happening. I have to make sure that you're circumcised. And Timothy agrees to it, which says a great deal about, about Timothy, I mean, uh, his level of commitment. I mean, he, he meets Paul, he knows Paul for a short time, and he's, gonna, he's going to do that. Beyond that, though, what I want you to see is that Timothy is going to experience God's will for his life because of his interaction with Paul. Because what's going to happen is when Timothy takes off with Paul, the elders are going to lay hands on him. And when they lay hands on him, something spiritually significant and life-changing is going to happen in Timothy's life. You say, like what? Look at it in 1 Timothy 4.14. Do not neglect, this is Paul writing to Timothy, do not neglect your gift, which was given you through a prophetic message when the body of elders laid their hands on you. So when they're sending Timothy off, the leaders gather around, they begin to pray. Suddenly somebody has a prophetic word. They begin to speak it out. As they speak it out, the result is now there is a gift that Timothy has. We're not quite sure what that gift is. The Bible doesn't say specifically, but it is important enough that Paul now years later in writing to Timothy says, hey, remember, you were given a gift when the elders laid their hands on you, and you gotta make sure that you don't neglect that. And then he says, year, uh, years later again in 2 Timothy 1.6, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul laid his hands on Timothy, maybe at the same time, maybe at a separate time, but now Timothy's got some gifts that have come into his life that are a part of the will of God for his life that if he's not with Paul are not going to happen in his life. All that to say there is a massive value in in walking in the will of God and fulfilling his purpose for our life found by the people we hang out with. So I want to ask you this question. Who do you hang out with? Are they moving you deeper into God's will? Or are they distracting you from God's will? Are they people who care about the will of God? Because you will never discern the will of God from people who could care less about his will. The thing that's keeping some of you from knowing the blessing of the Lord to the degree He'd want you to know it and you would know it in this year is if you would realign your relationships and say, listen, I'm gonna get closer to people who love God, who care about His will and believe that in doing that, I'm gonna grow to know His will and let me just suggest to you some things you'll know immediately, some things you won't know for a long time but you'll look back and see God used them and used that to direct me, and I'm in a place of blessing today because of a decision I made long ago to hang out with godly people who care about the will of God. Verse 4, Acts 16, as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So now there there is revival, there is life, Paul's going with Timothy, Timothy's going with Paul, and they're making their way across Asia Minor. God uses relationships with others to direct us in His will. Second, he makes his will known through the restraint of the Holy Spirit. Acts 16 and verse 6, a very interesting verse. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia. Now I want to point out something here. Paul and his companions is the term, the, the writer of the book of Acts, Luke is his name. He's not one of the disciples. He wrote the gospel of Luke. Paul is going to meet him in verse 10. At this point, it's, written in the, in the third person. When you get to verse 10, it suddenly goes first person plural, we, we did this, we did that. But Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. I don't know about you, but that's shocking to me. Because what you have here is you have Paul, who is arguably the most brilliant thinker and theological leader of his time, and now he's not just going days, but he's going weeks and potentially months, and the Holy Spirit isn't letting him speak. It doesn't seem to make any sense. The Bible says in in one... One translation says they were clipped by the Holy Spirit. The idea is there was, there was something forceful about the working of the Holy Spirit. You say, what was it? We, we don't know. Here's the map, and you can see they're, they're gonna go down into Asia. They're gonna go over to Ephesus. This is the area of Ephesus, and the answer is no, don't go. We're gonna read in the next verse that they're gonna get to Mysia and try to go into Bithynia, and again, the answer is no. I mean, have you ever been in a situation, and you can imagine Paul's in this situation where uh, he's excited about going to Asia? He's been, he's been over here. Now he's getting ready to go over there. He knows about Ephesus. He knows about uh, all, that's, all that's possible there. In fact, in Acts 19, he will go to Ephesus, and it will spark one of the greatest revivals in the history of the church, and the Word of God will spread out of there all over Asia, and Paul will be used so powerfully, he'll be teaching five hours a day, and and he'll be used so powerfully that while he's trying to earn a living, the rest of the time, they're taking his sweat rags, and they're laying them on people, and they're being miraculously healed. So the issue is, why is God delaying that? I mean, have you ever had it where you you had something and you thought it was a great idea and you couldn't wait and you were excited about it until you began to pray about it and then as you pray about it, all of a sudden you feel the Holy Spirit saying, don't do it. And you don't understand? I mean, this is Paul, and so Paul is excited about it, but God has shut the door. And he shut the door without opening another door. Listen, some of you are there exactly today. You were making plans, you thought you understood the will of the Lord, and all of a sudden that door that you thought was open has slammed shut. And you've heard the old saying, when God closes one door, he opens another, or opens a window, it's said different ways. But you're saying, that's not happening to me. That's Paul. Look at it in verse seven. And then they came to the border of Mysia and they tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. And what you have happening there is you have months that have passed. And you feel like, you know, if you're in that situation, like you're in this holding pattern, and you wonder what is going on, and you're praying, and you're not hearing anything, and now you've fasted this week because you really need direction, and it hasn't happened yet, you understand exactly what Paul's feeling. It's even worse if you don't feel well physically. I mean, Paul isn't, isn't doing well physically. So here's a, here's a man who has a heart for people to know the gospel and God lets weeks, he lets months go by without Paul speaking. Why? Well, what's on Paul's heart? Asia Minor. What's on God's heart? Europe. The Roman Empire. Sometimes God closes the door because our vision is too small. Some of you feel stuck, and and truth be told, the reason why is because God has closed the door because what you're thinking to do is less than God would want you to do. It's less, what you think is gonna make you happy, what you think is gonna be the right place for you is less than what God has for you. And God loves you too much to let you settle for less. Let me say this as well. Paul will go to Ephesus, as we said. He will lead a great revival. But the fact of the matter is, apparently Ephesus was not yet ready for Paul, and Paul was not yet ready for Ephesus. While God is getting a place ready for you, he's getting you ready for that place. And we have to realize that in light of that, sometimes when it seems nothing is happening, everything is happening. Because God is at work. He's setting the table. And we think it's a closed door, and we don't understand, and we think we're going to be happiest. I mean, I I think in terms of coming here uh, months before, I've been talking to a, a church in Denver, and I could envision myself on the front range. I could envision myself very happy in the afternoons at Mile High Stadium. Maybe not as happy right now, but I'd have been happy on some of those years. And I mean, I so wanted to go there. And I was talking with different board members, and and then the door slammed shut. And there was nothing open at all, and I really felt we were going to leave and needed to leave. And and, um, there was no pressure to leave, I just felt like, the burden had lifted, and, and so here I am, not really filling a burden for where we were at and wanting to go to Denver and saying, you know, when Debbie and I talked, we said Springfield's the last place in the world we'd ever go because James River had already called us once and we were like, huh, ha, not happening. You know, so you're, you know, you're thinking that. They had talked to us and we we're like, no, nah, I don't think so. And what's happening is at that moment, God is getting the church ready. He's getting us ready, and at the right time, it's going to come together. And I would have never, in my wildest dreams, imagined what God would do here. And I simply say that because you can't imagine either what God would do. And had I gone to another place, I would settled, I would have ended up settling for less than God had for us, and would have not experienced some of what we've experienced. Listen, you say, what what do I do when one door after another is closed? When the doors are closed, and it seems like God is giving you a red light instead of a green light, you keep on doing what God has already called you to do. I kept on preaching. I kept on pastoring in that place. And in your situation, if you can't, if God isn't saying anything, then keep on walking, keep on believing, keep on praying, keep on trusting, keep on listening, keep on reading, keep on serving, Keep on giving, keep on living, keep on doing what he's called you to do because his silence isn't a lack of caring, it's an act of preparing. God is at work. God is preparing Paul for what he has for him to to reach Europe. Number three, God's will, God makes his will known through revelatory visions. In Acts chapter 16, verse 8, suddenly passed by Mysia, went down to Troas. But during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, we don't know this for sure, and I'm just tossing this out as one scholar's opinion, a couple scholar's opinion. They believe the man in the vision was Dr. Luke. And they believe when Paul needed a doctor when he got to Troas he saw Luke, and all of this comes together. Like the next day he sees Luke, and all of a sudden they're they're set, and Luke is going to go with him into uh, Philippi and into Europe. But here's Paul. He has a vision. Now listen, one of the ways that God can lead and direct you is he can give you a vision or a dream. You say, what's the difference? You know, some people say, well, a vision happens when you're, awake and a dream happens when you're asleep and other people say, well, you know, the old men and women, they have dreams because, hey, they're sleeping all the time. The young people, they have visions because they're awake all the time. I I don't know about that. Paul's, it's during the night, so we don't know there is a vision that happens. But it's part of how God speaks, and this has been understood throughout the Bible. I mean, in Job, Chapter 33, why do you complain to him that he answers not a man's words? Some of you are saying, I'm praying and I'm not hearing. Why doesn't God talk to me? Job says this, Elihu says, for God does speak now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it. My question to you is: Could it be possible that God's speaking to you, and you just you're just not on the wrong, right frequency? He's talking. You either not listening, not listening close enough, or or you're expecting him to talk in one way like he did before. And God's saying, "I'm not doing that. I'm doing something different because I want to show you how, how many different ways I can work, and I want to teach you something about me, and I want to draw you close to me because I want a closer relationship with you." So you've got to perceive what God is doing, right? God does speak. Now one way, now another, though man may not perceive it in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men as they slumber in their beds, he may speak in their ears and terrify them with warnings. Listen, this is, you know, you may be getting ready to do something, say, God, speak to me in a dream or vision, and, and God may give you like a nightmare about that job. I mean, you say, has that ever happened to you? It has. I'll tell you this, and, and not to unsettle anybody, but a few years back, you know, there, there, uh, I, I was entertaining the idea of going on staff at another place. I hadn't had an invitation, but I was thinking about it and thinking I'd be a preaching pastor at another church, because in some sense you get to preach, and, and some of the weight of responsibility is not yours to carry. So I just put it there. Debbie and I talked about it. We thought about it, and um, so you know nobody nobody had sent an invite, but I hadn't put the word out either. We're just kind of thinking about it. And I had this dream, and it's as real to me today. I can describe every detail. But I had this dream that in this dream that's what happened. That's what I did, and I mean. It was a train wreck. And when I woke up, I knew instantly God was saying, that's not my will for you. God speaks at night. I'm just telling you have, you, have you asked God to speak to your heart at night? Have you said, God, I give you my nights so you can have your way in my life? Because sometimes we're just too hard-headed For him to get his word through us when we're super conscious, we have to be kind of out so he can can say, okay, now you're ready to listen because you're unconscious, right? God works that way sometimes. He speaks in dreams. Now let me say this, that doesn't mean every dream or vision is from God, okay, so (laughs) let's not go there and get crazy, okay? You say, how do I know if it is from God? Here's three things I would say to you. Number one, you remember the dream in the morning. You, you will remember it. It won't be like, oh, I had a crazy dream and I don't know what it's about. No, when you get up, you'll remember the dream. You'll say, I had this dream and it'd be very clear to you. Number two, it will seem important to you or your spouse. So sometimes I've gotten up, there's been a couple times and this sounds like I dream all the time and it's not true. However I would have to say since I said to the Lord, you can have my nights I've heard more from him through the night. Just an interesting thing. He walks the sleep lanes of our life and, and he wants to talk to you and For some of us, it's easier for him to talk if we're unconscious. (laughs) You know, I mean, otherwise we're like, no, no, no. Uh, Lord, could you hold that thought? I've, I've, I've got a phone call coming in. You know, it's that kind of thing. So he finds it easier when we're out to have his way. So, But not every dream is, is from God. And so what you have to do is when you get up, it's good to talk to people that you trust, who know you, who walk with the Lord. And there's been times when I've gotten up and I've told Debbie a dream and she's not thought anything about it. There's other times she said, I think that's from the Lord. And then what we do is we get down and pray. In fact, I would say this, anytime I, I fill a dream, is significant, right? I just really, it was very vivid. I'm gonna say, Lord, is there something in that? And sometimes there is. Third, the Lord shows you the meaning. So, like, if you have a dream and you, you know, people near you are like, crazy dream, I agree. What does it mean? I don't have an idea. So, then if that's happening, you can say, you know what, whatever. If it still bothers you, write the dream down. This is another thing I would encourage you to do with dreams that you feel God has spoken to you through. You think, because it's really vivid, you will remember it. That's not true. Now some dreams you you will, but most you won't. And it's really important if God has spoken to you to write down what happened in the dream. Write it down in a journal, Write it down in a place where you can access it, and then if you know the meaning the Lord has shown you, write that down too. And then go back to that and pray over it. I take time, not every day, but with some regularity in my prayer life to pray over those kinds of things, prophetic words that I've gotten, dreams that I've had that I think affect the church or affect my life. Those kind of things, God wants us to join with him in praying his will into existence. Are you with me on that? So just because it's God's will doesn't mean it's automatically gonna happen. Now, I'll wrap up here. Acts 16, verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision. Now, this is very interesting. You don't wanna miss this because this is really, I think, important for you to get. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. The word for concluding there, simbebazo. It's the idea of symbiotically. We symbiotically decided. What are he saying? Paul's the one who has the vision, but Paul's not saying, hey, my vision, my decision. Paul's the one who has the vision, but Paul doesn't say, my vision, my ministry, my decision. It's a very interesting thing. He's got Timothy. Timothy has hardly any time in the saddle. He's got Silas. Silas is is more seasoned, but there is a group there. And notice suddenly Luke is in there now. So now Luke's new to the team, but Luke's part of the stakeholder in this decision. So, how is the will of God discerned for Paul? It's discerned through conversation with the group close to him. Can I just say that that some of you are too spiritually independent for your own good because you you have too much confidence in your own ability to discern God's word for you and you're not going to listen to anybody or seek anybody's counsel and the result is you you there is honestly let me just I mean this kindly, but there's a pride in that that is circumventing you're hearing the voice of God. And you would be well served to humble yourself. This is a value again of a life group or a small group where you say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about this, I'm processing that. And, and, and let me just say this, even at James, James River, uh, there's, there's just not much unilateral decision-making going on. It is, it, we're praying about it, we're talking about it, we're discussing things. It's not like, hey, I have an idea, I'm gonna go do it. That's just not how I would choose to work. Because I realize that God's will comes even when God is speaking to my heart about something, the, the carrying out and the formation of what that looks like is gonna come through interaction with others who are stakeholders in the ministry to determine what God is saying in this. And I think that applies to everybody's life, that that we all do better, we're gonna get a better outcome if we ask people who are godly and talk to them who we have relationship with and say, what would you discern to be the will of the Lord in this? And then listen to them. Now, here's one other thing I want you to notice. We concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That doesn't sound very... Definitive. It's a bit ambiguous, isn't it? And kind of, I guess that's what God's calling us to do. It's really kind of the way it reads. Think of the import of this decision. I'm going to close here in a minute. Think of the import of this decision. Is the gospel going to go to Europe or not? Is Paul the most important personage in, this, in the in the new testament at this point the new testament church is he going to europe or not you know you would think that would demand absolute 100 certainty on that decision wouldn't you but god is okay with the ambiguity they think it's god's will If you're going to ask them to vote, is it God's will or not? Yeah, I guess I'm going to say it is. Are they 100% sure? You don't get that from the text. You see, there are some of you and, and God is speaking to you, but there's a bit of ambiguity and it makes you nervous because it's not crystal clear. Because it's not the Lord saying or an angel saying or something happening where you're you know, and hey, praise God, there are times we're making a decision and we just know in our knower what we wouldn't typically know. And that's a wonderful time, but I'm just telling you, in a decision like this, that's not what's happening. And some of you are sitting on the fence and you've got about this much clarity on the decision, but you won't pull the trigger because you want 100% clarity. And I'm just saying, that's not how it generally works. and. And the reason why God doesn't do that is because God is never going to get us. let us get to the place where we're not depending on him, seeking him, having to step out in faith and following him. All of that is part of walking in God's will. That faith step, that faith journey, that leaning in, that saying, oh God, I'm doing this because I believe you're in it. But Lord, if I'm wrong, shut the door. And if not, I'm going to do it, but I got to have your help to do it. God's will is, is found through a dream or a vision, but, but you might not be sure, but you talk to people and you go because it seems right to you and the others, and you experience God's will as a result of that. And you read the following verses. We won't take time to read them through verse 12. They make it to Europe, and, and the gospel now has a beachhead in Europe, and we're gonna see it next week. Fascinating story. A python spirit possesses a woman. That's what the Bible says. It's crazy. I want to ask you this. If God speaks through, through relationships. Who are you hanging out with? Could God speak through them to you? You say, well, he used the donkey in the Old Testament. Well, you know, he could, he could speak through a lot of people, but if that's who you're hanging out with, you're going to have less of God's hand on your life. For some, you you need to rethink your social circle. You need to rethink who you're hanging out with. You need to get in a life group, honestly. You need to get around godly people who really, really help you. If God's will is known through closed doors, are you okay with that? Are you okay walking through those times when you don't understand and you can't figure out why God wouldn't let you have the one thing you wanted? Are you okay with trusting he has something much better? for you, and that he knows better what will work for you than you know, and you surrender your right to be in charge because you say, God, I trust you. You know more than me. If God speaks through visions and dreams, have you ever asked him to give you one? Have you ever said, God, you know, you can have my nights. If you want to wake me up, being with you and hearing from you is 10 times better than sleeping through the night. God, you can have your way. Listen, God has a plan for your life. He has a will for you. He wants you to know it.